Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, Why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. If you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle, or go, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I've got a really great guest, Del Bigtree. He's the founder of an organization called I Can Decide, or I-C-A-N, Decide.org. He's a preeminent voice in the vaccine risk awareness movement around the world. He also founded a nonprofit called uh, Informed Consent Action Network, and he's the host of a rapidly growing internet talk show called The High Wire, which has over 33 million views today. So uh, Dell's approach to fighting on the issues he cares about and incorporates legal work, legislative work, and media actions to expose um, what appears to be you know, massive fraud and lies and censorship and you know, all of the, uh, the wonderful things that a lot of people have been experiencing more recently, but uh, you know, re- experiencing in general for many years. So, Dell, thank you for coming. Thank you, Richard, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, tell me, so COVID become the central issue that you're working on you know, the past year and a half, or are there other initiatives that are important to you right now? Well, our nonprofit and, and sort of what got us started, our mission statement was dedicated to eradicating man-made disease. That So we're always concerned about herbicides, pesticides that are being used. You know, almost, it seems like almost every week there is a new discovery that a product being used by people causes Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or you know, heart attacks or, you know, you name it. And so we're very concerned with that. And I think that what is is sort of really made this coronavirus a central place for us is it really all roads lead to our regulatory agencies. All the problems with products that end up destroying people's lives are supported in one way or approved by our regulatory agencies, the CDC, the FDA, the National Institute of Health, of course, the mothership of all of those health and human services here in America, the WHO. So I would say that the work that we've been doing over the years is I've been trying to understand how are we saying vaccines are safe? Why is it when I look into it, I find tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions around the world, stories of injury by vaccines, yet we're told they're safe. And so that investigation is what we're really known for is the safety of vaccines. Mm. And we found that there was never 
a proper safety trial done on any of the childhood vaccines that were given to our children. By proper safety trial, the only way to determine safety in a pharmaceutical product is the double-blind placebo study. Everyone, anyone that's ever graduated from high school understands that process. One group gets an injection, if it's an injectable or a sugar pill uh, for the, I mean, or, or gets the drug, if it's a pill, this placebo group gets a sugar pill painted to look just like it. If it's an injectable like a vaccine, the placebo group gets a saline injection, a product. The placebo definition being a product that has no effect on the human body. None of that has been done properly when it comes to vaccines. Our drugs go through fairly rigorous studies like that. I found it very disturbing that childhood vaccines had not. Now we get to the coronavirus and a rushed uh, vaccine, which I think the mo two most dangerous words in science put into one sentence are rush and science. Anytime you put those two terms together, we can historically look back and see some of the greatest uh, colossal errors in humanity that ever happened. I think we are on the verge of perhaps one of the greatest colossal errors in, in world and human history. So, okay. yeah. I got a quick question here. Where do you find and where can listeners find out some semblance of actual data on what's going on with, with various vaccines? So the best resource for that would be to go to our website, icandecide.org. On that website, you will find we have white papers on vaccine safety. And the reason that those are great and they're totally available to you is that we list all of the issues that we have found with the vaccine program, including the lack of placebo studies, the lack of long-term studies, and at the bottom of every page are hyperlinks that people can click on to the evidence and the proof of what we are claiming. We also have, if you really want to get in depth, there is an 80-page dialogue or debate between my nonprofit, Informed Consent Action Network, and Health and Human Services. We sent about a 30-page document to them listing out all of the issues we believed undermined the statement of safety about vaccines given by our health agencies and we wanted answers. They responded with about a 20 page document and links to you know, nearly, I mean, hundreds of studies, if not more. We spent a year investigating all of those, that science that they said defended their statements about safety. And we responded then with a final letter to them showing how we believe we have debunked their statements and the science that they're pointing to. We have been demanding an answer to that final letter for over a year now, and they have refused to respond. It is the most thorough um, correspondence between two entities over safety in the history of the world. And you can find it at icandecide.org with all the links to the science we are referencing. Oh, so you were you able to publish their letter to you and your letter to them? Correct. And your you can read letter? the entire exchange and come to your own conclusion, including the links they provided us and the links we've provided them. Yeah, I've heard about uh, VAERS, the, I guess the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. What is that for listeners and what does it talk about, VAERS? So VAERS is our most uh, significant, what we call our post-marketing surveillance system when it comes to vaccine injury. VAERS was put into place by the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Program that took place in 1986. I believe that this is the great error that happened in America was when in 1986, the pharmaceutical industry black, blackmailed Ronald Reagan, our Congress and our Senate in the United States of America and threatened that they would stop making all vaccines unless they were protected from liability. They, in their own statements, were losing so much money in court cases from death and injury from vaccines they knew that the United States government needed them to keep those manufacturing plants open in case we ever needed to develop a vaccine swiftly because of perhaps a biological attack. They used that incentive and need for our country 
to blackmail them into protecting them from all liability. And in that liability protection, obviously Ronald Reagan hated the idea of giving the pharmaceutical industry a free ride on any product, especially one that's injected into our innocent children. Congress pushed back, but pharma was a huge lobby then. It is now the number one most powerful lobby in Washington, and they passed the 1986 Act. Theirs is one of the few protections that was put in place for the consumer since now there was no incentive for the pharmaceutical industry to do proper safety studies. They stopped doing all proper safety studies, as you will find in those documents at our website I've just described. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. You also took all motivation from the industry to evolve their products and make them safer since the reason they needed protections was it was the worst line of products they had. The only products we've ever heard of made by pharma where they couldn't make a profit because of such a prolific amount of lawsuits. So under those circumstances, VAERS was set up to track how many injuries are actually happening. Since the proper safety studies weren't done, the liability is gone. And so that system is mandated really on every vaccine. The vaccine tells the doctor that they must report any and all circumstances and, and injuries that appear within in most circumstances two weeks to a month after a vaccination, but usually within that 14-day period. The doctor is not required to believe that the vaccine caused the issue, that the data collection and scientists in the future are supposed to use that to see if there's causality or some sort of uh, pattern that can be understood, whether it's other comor you know, other uh, issues like diet or smoking. All of that is data collection is how we do science. That's why VAERS yeah. is so important. The issue we have with VAERS is it's not being used. You, if you ask many, you know, most doctors don't even know this passive reporting system exists even though the vaccine is telling them they're mandated to report any injuries. Harvard Medical School was hired in 2010. We used uh, the CDC funded a $1 million project through Harvard Medical School to investigate VAERS and see how accurate and proficient it was at collecting data on vaccine injury. And also, once they found out what that collection rate was, would they, could they possibly create a, um, a, a robotic collection system or a computer-driven collection system that would automate it so that we would capture all of the injuries happening so that better data analysis could be done. Harvard Medical School did that study. They came to the shocking conclusion that VAERS is capturing less than 1% of the total amount of actual vaccine injuries that are taking place. They wow. successfully automated their Harvard Pilgrim medical system as the practice database health system to show that they could automate it. And shockingly, at the end of that study, they said, once we had the data and once we had successfully automated our system and were ready to automate the national system, the CDC stopped returning our calls, stopped returning our emails and shut the program down. Essentially, our own CDC, once good data was collected, they realized that the vaccine injury rate was far higher than they ever dreamed. And the idea of telling the world, and especially Americans, vaccines are just safe and effective and shouldn't be questioned, uh, really fell apart. And the idea of automating that system, which would have been fantastic and great for America, instead our regulatory agency put on blindfolds and said, we don't want to see the data. So when you cut to this coronavirus vaccine now, the FDA has admitted in New York Times articles and other articles that they do not have a surveillance system 
capable of capturing the amount of injuries given the speed of the rollout of this experimental product, our regulatory agencies are incapable of tracking the actual real-time uh, problems with the vaccine, which is horrifying knowing that back in CDC in, in 2010, the CDC had the opportunity to make a robust surveillance system, but shut it down. Why is this concerning? Because now if we take that idea that VAERS is only capturing 1%, we are right in the neighborhood of 4,000 deaths reported from the the coronavirus vaccines being used over the last three months. That is the highest death rate in VAERS of any vaccine in history. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. It is outpacing vaccine injury. Uh, I believe that yeah, I've heard it's, it's, it's about more, 10 years worth of injury in three months. Yeah, I, I had heard it was right. It was about 15 years from all vaccines right. worth of injury in three months. It, so do you now, think it so still is one percent of the total, or what do you think, think the real that, total is? I I think that you know it's unfortunate that we have got to try and extrapolate um, understanding from things like a one percent reporting rate. But when we cross referenced two weeks ago on the high wire, I cross referenced the database with new existing uh, information. We looked at anaphylaxis being reported to VAERS. Anaphylaxis was the one thing that was reported and known to be an issue in the trials. So this is a situation where doctors knew anaphylaxis was a problem. So you would assume knowing that there was a problem and they really needed to understand how big a problem, that that should have been one of the most robustly reported uh, problems to VAERS. And so what's interesting is that when the, um, it, the, there was a university school, it was Brigham Women's Hospital, did a private study of their frontline workers, about 70,000 of their own workers. They charted um, through uh, polls and a study all of those receiving the vaccine. And so what was interesting was for them when they really pulled it and focused on it, had a true control group, they were able to determine that anaphylaxis was, was happening in about 2.4 to 4 people per 10,000 of their employees. CDC, in their own study, they pointed this out, CDC, when referencing anaphylaxis reporting in VAERS, said that the VAERS was capturing about 2.5 to 4 per million What's interesting about that is it's exactly what Harvard Medical School said back in 2010, the difference between 2.5 per 10,000 and 2.5 per million is exactly uh, a, a ratio difference or a difference of 1% to 100%. VAERS proves right there it is still only capturing 1%. So uh, based on that and a couple of other references, I do believe it's accurate to say that that is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1%. And that is shocking when we think of 4,000 then deaths being reported. If that is 1%, that means 400,000 people have been killed by this vaccine in the last three months, which clearly outpaces the death rate of the virus, which we are told is at an alarming height of in the five or 600,000 over now nearly two, uh, two years of coronavirus seasons. Um, that, I think, is the, one of the, the first times we've really seen a moment where you could ask the question, is there really a risk-reward benefit here? It appears the vaccine kills more people than the virus does. Well, it's not just death that is a problem, although it's the worst problem. You know, there's disability from the vaccine. That's, that's what, like 120,000 at least reported in the U.S.? And, again, or what is it? Again, you know, whatever those numbers, 10,000, 100,000, if that's 1%, as we are to understand, we're talking a million, right? We're talking, you know, tens of millions. It's really, and, and I think to, in the work that we've done, um, these are just the immediate, the immediate injuries and deaths coming from the vaccines. We were more concerned in the rollout of this vaccine with the long-term death potential we saw from issues like antibody-dependent enhancement, also known as immune enhancement or pathogenic priming. This is the issue that killed animals in the animal trials. What most people don't recognize is there are no human trials of these, any of these vaccines, of the Moderna, Pfizer, uh, Johnson & Johnson, 
here, which are the vaccines being used here in America, the first trials that ever went into human beings were just truncated and ended really about two weeks after the second shot. So you can say there was no safety trial. So the only reference point we had was the animal trials that had been conducted on these products. And those are horrifying when you look at them. We look back at the 20 year history of the attempts by every drug manufacturer to make coronavirus vaccines. And shockingly, it wasn't an intermittent issue. They all had the same exact problem with their products, and it didn't matter if it was an adenovirus vector adenovirus. Well, what was the uh, and specifically though? What was the problem? I, I guess I'm, from I'm what really I heard, animals that were vaccinated. Yeah. So it didn't matter. Remember, since SARS coronavirus, many drug companies saw the viability of a coronavirus vaccine, so they all attempted it. We looked at all the studies over the last 20 years, which were animal trials, and the same thing happened. It didn't matter if it was a adenovirus vector vaccine, a uh, mRNA vaccine, or an old-style um, attenuated virus vaccine. The results were the same. They would inject the animals with the product. It looked like it was safe because the animals didn't die after injection. And then a few weeks in, they would draw blood, and they saw robust antibody production. So at that point, you could imagine they were starting to pull out champagne glasses and saying, we've got a vaccine that works. But in every single scenario, animal trials are allowed to go one step further than human trials usually do. And that's called a challenge study, where they actually inject the animal with the coronavirus to see if the vaccine is effective. This has ethical implications that are about to be rolled back in human trials, but that's a different story. In these animal trials, when they would inject the animals with the virus, something surprised them. In every single case, let me make this clear, in every single trial they had this problem where the antibodies didn't actually protect the animal, where we are used to antibodies attacking that uh, antigen or that virus, neutralizing it, sterilizing it, killing it dead, and then creating a memory that would protect it for years to come. Instead, in this scenario, the antibodies seem to just bind onto the virus and in some ways either hide the virus from the immune system so that it proliferated through the cells or helped the virus proliferate through the cells. Either way, the results were the same. The vaccine actually helped the virus penetrate the cells throughout the body, which led to the immune system going into what's called a cytokine storm. This is a nuclear meltdown of your immune system, total overreaction that drove what was described in most of these trials as a TH2 immunopathology in the lungs. I know I'm getting the weeds, but imagine organ failure, inability to breathe, organ failure and death in many of these animals, in many of these trials, one trial, every single cat died. That is the history, the only known history of the vaccines that have been warp speeded, have skipped a safety trial in human beings, are now being coerced and promoted into you know, innocent human beings in America and around the world. So let me be perfectly clear. The vaccine did not kill the animals. The vaccine helped the virus kill the animals. It acted as a catalyst. We have a history of this RSV vaccine program in the 1960s, where they thought a vaccine was safe. They gave it to children. Children seemed to be doing fine until they came in contact with RSV. And then the vaccine again led to higher death rate, two dead babies, and, uh, and, a, and a much more severe disease experience in all of the children. That vaccine program was discontinued. We saw this issue again in the Philippines with a Dengvaxia vaccine for dengue. We were told it was safe. They used it on thousands of people. Everyone was doing fine until the virus, until that dengue season came along. And then the vaccine helped it kill what is said to be over a thousand people. And they fired the Ministry of Health. They kicked that drug company out of the country. This is the history, the known history of the coronavirus vaccines. So when we looked at the emergency use authorization by the FDA, we assumed as a nonprofit that focuses on science and medicine and demands safe uh, products and proper safety studies, we expected that even though these scientific studies were truncated and shortened in order to warp speed the vaccine in the population, that the number one concern that was already known about these products 
this issue I've described as immune enhancement, antibody-dependent enhancement, or pathogenic priming. Um, you can also look up uh, terms like linked epitope suppression. These are all, or original antigenic sin. All of these things revolve around knowledge of problems in vaccines. And this one has a very bad one. When we looked in the emergency use authorization, we assumed that knowing that that would be a deadly and diabolical long-term outcome from these vaccines, certainly they focused on it in the short time they had in the trials. We were alarmed to find in the emergency use authorization that they listed the problem of what they described it as disease enhancement as an unknown problem. They said these trials were unable to rule out the potential for the vaccine to cause to, uh, immune enhancement or disease enhancement, more studies will need to be done in the future. And I would ask anyone in science, what if there is no future? This is what is so terrifying for me about this va these vaccines. The known issue was not handled. It was not overcome. And just to be clear, that means there's a theoretical potential that everyone that has been injected with these vaccines could come in contact with next year's coronavirus. Maybe it's a mutation, or maybe it's because the vaccine has worn down a little bit. To be honest, scientists don't know why they were having this problem in the animal trials. They never solved it. But what happens if everyone that received this vaccine now has a catalyst that will help the next time they come in contact with this virus, it will help the virus kill them. That is my greatest concern. And I do not believe that that is even a part of the deaths that we're seeing in the immediate uh, result of the vaccinations. That is a death that we are expecting to see over the next probably six months, year or two, and that could be catastrophic. If what happened in the animal trials happens in human beings, and I pray that for some you know, reason, sheer dumb luck, that human beings react differently to the vaccines than the animals. But if they don't, we could see the largest die off from a scientific accident that the world has ever seen. So when do you think that we'll start to see science? I mean, like, I would guess Israel has the, the population with the highest percentage of people that have given this. Do you think that they'll be the bellwether? Or where do you think that uh, if there's a problem, and hopefully there's not, but if well, there right. is, when do you think we'll start seeing it and where and how? Well, you know, it's the, fir the first question we have to have is when you have as bad a data collection as we have, when you watch how these health agencies work, look at the, just look this week, the data collection on people that are infected after being vaccinated, right? What are called the breakthrough cases. The CDC has just announced that they have no interest in tracking breakthrough cases any longer. They will only focus on hospitalizations from COVID after vaccination and deaths, meaning this entire discussion of, of being an asymptomatic carrier, which it appears is all this vaccine does. It was great to hype up the fear around the disease, but now that it is going to put a bad impression on the vaccine, what does the CDC do? The same thing it always does, it stops collecting the data. So that's what's so horrifying is where will we see it? Will we see it if our regulatory agencies go out of their way to hide the information or not collect the data? So. You know, I already have problems there, but we already have seen spikes in deaths in almost every nation that had a fast mass vaccination rollout. We're seeing it right now in India. There are headlines saying things like 75% of the deaths in India that are being, you know, said to have been caused by COVID are happening within three days after vaccination. Does that mean that we are seeing some sort of disease enhancement? Does it, or there's another issue where perhaps they're vaccinating people that already had contracted a lighter version and are having some sort of reaction based on that. So we've got to watch all of that data. But yes, I think that when we are looking at these problems, we should look at these mass vaccination rollout centers. So that would be Israel, the United Kingdom, and the United States of America would be great places to watch uh, that take place. And remember, when your regulatory agencies are doing the bidding for the agents that are you know, making billions of dollars off these products, we're going to have to recognize we're going to have to look ourselves. When we start seeing our relatives dying, when we start seeing our neighbors dying, I assure you 
the CDC that promoted this untested product with this diabolical history, I don't think we can count on them to say, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. They know that they would destroy confidence in our healthcare system, in our CDC, and ultimately in our government and our president that promoted this product. So should the issue rear its head, unfortunately, you will see a cover-up. And I believe that that will be what we will be told next year is that there is now a deadly variant that has, is now killing people. I believe they will blame it on those that didn't trust the vaccine. They will say that it is the unvaccinated that created this variant that's killing everybody. But the truth is, is what you will actually be seeing is the deaths that occurred in the animal trials where the vaccine is actually what is killing these people. You will need to note that the unvaccinated will not be a part of this death record next year. All of this is what I'm trying to put out warning flags and demand that the American citizens and the free people of this country and of the world demand transparent science immediately so that our healthcare agencies and our governments that have coerced us into what could potentially be one of the most deadly products ever distributed, that, that they will be forced to be transparent about this error. And that is the only way we will find our way through it to fix it when it begins to happen. So do you think that no matter how many people die from this, it's just going to be covered up. I mean, what what will it take to really, you know, to overcome the censorship and all the aligned in, interests about this? You know, only time will tell. I am uh, an optimist. I believe that the people and the truth uh, always prevails. But we have our work cut out from us. I, you know, people could say I am highly skeptical of our government. I am. I am highly skeptical of our government. I'm highly skeptical of our regulatory agencies. I am highly skeptical of these pharmaceutical industries that I have, you know, documented from my work at CBS on the doctor's television show for nearly 10 years, all the way through the work that I do now on my own uh, show, thehighwire.com. We have watched them pay out billions of dollars for lying about their products. What are they lying about? They have always lied about safety. And so that skepticism is what drives me. I believe that my job as a journalist is to always remain skeptical. That is the tenant of why they call journalism the fourth estate or the fourth branch of government. Our founding fathers said that journalism and the news must always ask the uncomfortable and hard questions to hold our government's feet to the fire and the industries around us feet to the fire Yet we live in a different time where now we are admonished, we are, you know, tarnished, we are ridiculed for challenging the status quo. Anybody now that asks any questions about the safety of these vaccines, I have lost my YouTube channel, I have lost my Facebook channel and Instagram. You can only now find me in many ways on thehighwire.com, at least consistently. Of course, we keep jumping to whatever platform opens up, and I hope there will be an uncensored platform in the future. When the books start being burned, when the censorship begins, I think you've got to ask yourself historically, when have the good guys ever been on the side of censorship? Never. And I think that's why we as citizens have got to start paying more attention to those that are censored. Odds are they're the ones that are telling us the truth and are going to help us get through what I think is going to be a very dark storm ahead. Yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts on what's going to happen over the next, you know, over the rest of this year and then into next year? I think there will be attempt to destroy our First Amendment rights. There will be states that are clearly looking at a passport that doesn't allow you into public spaces if you've been unvaccinated. Shockingly, in the time of, you know, equality and discussions about you know, uh, uh, an underlying racial problem or segregation. I just read an article that the Obamas will not allow anyone into their presence that hasn't been vaccinated. That sounds a lot like segregation to me. We're talking about segregating people out in our society that decide to eat organic food, drink clear spring water or filtered water. They don't eat at McDonald's. They don't drink Coca-Cola. They don't eat, you know, smoke cigarettes. Uh, you know, that that population is now somehow the scourge in America and should be segregated out. 
there's an interesting thing happening because there's a real concern amongst those that are living vaccine-free, pharma-free lives that the vaccinated may be shedding this experimental and potentially deadly technology. So actually both sides are looking at segregating each other. This could all lead to some sort of strange civil war. I believe that we could see real you know, issues when we look at the original civil war. Was it really about slavery or was it about finance and business interests? The South was making a lot more money. They had a cheaper labor pool, not to put that lightly, but I think we're going to see a similar issue where states like Florida run by Ron DeSantis and Texas under Greg Abbott, maybe South Dakota with Kristi Noem and other conservative states that will deny the um, draconian measures as they have. They will take down the mask mandates. They will not enforce. In fact, Florida just passed a law that it will be illegal to have a vaccine passport in any private establishment or public establishment. So what will that mean? That means that all the vacationing, anyone that actually wants to breathe the air blowing across their face without having to wrap their orifices with blocking fabrics and synthetic products, they're going to go to Florida. They're going to go to Texas. They're going to leave California. They're going to leave New York. I believe that will create a financial disparity that will be, you know, in many ways devastating for states. So then will we see lashing out? Will we see states like New York and California saying, if you go to Texas, do not come back. These are the types of things that I think are going to lead to a very, very strange experience and, you know, and potentially uh, destructive to this beautiful, once, you know, very loving and connected country. Just over a couple of years ago, uh, this pandemic has been used to divide us in a very horrifying way. I believe our media should be held accountable. I believe there will be tribunals in our future, years into the future, that will look back as, at this the same way we look back as the atrocities that happened in Nazi Germany. I believe people like Tony Fauci should be carted off for crimes against humanity. We never covered the, the fact that they've denied known successful treatments like hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc that in countless studies have shown to be nearly 95% effective at keeping the highest risk people out of hospitals. Ivermectin now being used, budesonide, all being blocked by government officials, health agencies. So when they say that this coronavirus has killed five, 600,000 people, what has killed those people is medical malpractice driven by false information putting, put out by leaders from our regulatory agencies. We will get through this. We will be a better people in the end. But what we need is people to wake up as quickly as possible. I hope that the dark days that are ahead can be mitigated quickly, but there's a chance given that the media is so, has been so taken over and is so well-funded by pharma and these interests, it is very hard to get the truth to the people right now. Yeah, no, it is. I should have asked you in the beginning, but how did you get involved in this, in this crusade and, this, you know, and, and learning about all this? What's your, a bit of your history? I started as a producer for the Dr. Phil show many years ago. I learned how to make television out of psychological issues and interviewing people. Then Dr. Phil and his son made a television show, daily talk show called The Doctors on CBS. I was a part of helping create that with the original executive producer that was brought in. I loved working with that family, with that group. I loved working the doctor's television show where I got to celebrate the best that science and medicine has to offer around the world while focusing on the medical issues of our times. And through that experience, I learned to read medical journals and really start to be more aware of medicine and disease and the things that were happening around us. In the middle of that, one of my um, inside sources, let's say, reached out to me and said there's a whistleblower inside the CDC that won't, is going to come forward and say that the CDC is, is, is you know, committing acts of fraud and misrepresentation, especially around the vaccine safety studies. That whistleblower's name was Dr. William Thompson. My investigation into him changed my entire life. 
I was unable to tell that story on television because of the sponsorship by the pharmaceutical industry and the pressures by the CDC. That documentary is called Vaxxed, From Cover-Up to Catastrophe. That is the central figure is the whistleblower who still works at the CDC, is protected by whistleblower status, and has shown us that the CDC cannot be trusted and that vaccines are not as safe as we thought they were. That was the beginning of my journey since that, that, that movie was really only about the MMR vaccine as we toured the, the nation with what was considered to be maybe the most controversial documentary of all times were bomb threats in theaters around the world simply because we were telling the story of parents yeah. who watched their children regress in autism right after the vaccination. I wanted answers to all the vaccines. As we traveled, people said, is it just the MMR vaccine? I didn't know if that was true or not. I only knew that thousands of parents were telling us stories and starting to document their stories after seeing our film about deaths in their children from flu shots, about paralysis in their athlete children after HPV vaccine. Uh, the last four years, I'm the only journalist I know that is focused on really one product, and that's vaccinations, and even more specifically on the word safety. And that is the background of what, and then when this coronavirus came along, I got to spread my chops as a medical investigator from CBS. I brought over my executive producers also from the CBS Talks with the Doctors, and one of my top field producers came from CBS. We are all celebrating our dream to do medical journalism that is not coerced or controlled by our sponsors. That's why we're a nonprofit and that's why our work, what we do, and I want people to go to thehighwire.com and sign up to our newsletter because unlike any other news agency in the world, we do a show every Thursday. We lay out what we have found on Monday. If you're on our newsletter, we provide you with all of the evidence that we discussed in the show. I don't want people walking around saying, this is what Dell Bigtree said. I want them to be able to hold up the emergency use authorization for Pfizer and say, this is what it says right here. We are putting the evidence in people's hands and all they have to do, it's free. Sign up to thehighwire.com, watch the show on Thursday, and then get your evidence in your hands so that you can share with that with everyone you know. That is the only way I can see changing the way that we move into the future. We should demand that level of integrity from every news agency that we listen to. Yeah, well said. What, in your bio, it said you, you will combine and utilize different methods to try to you know, push back and fight back, you know, legislative, legal, et cetera. What have you found, I guess, for lack of a better word, works versus doesn't work when it comes to fighting back against some of these issues? I believe that we have got to use every tool in the tool book, but it is interesting. You know, for instance, I've done a lot, I work with politicians a lot. We try to pass laws, stop bad laws, work with legislators, help design legislation. I would say that in many ways, that's the least effective tool we have. The corruption in our government is so profound um, describing it as a swamp really only is the tip of the iceberg. But I will not give up trying. There are still great politicians and guys like Ron DeSantis and Rand Paul are these shining lights and Christy Nome. And, you know, there's a few, a handful of politicians that somehow overcome the corruption that I think is, is wrought in the lobby system. Um, but, you know, I have also so the three arms, what we do, I would say, is legislative, media, and then legal. The two most powerful tools, tools we have really comes from our legal department. I have the best lawyers in the world um, headed by, uh, doc, um, by Aaron Siri, who uh, people want to sort of watch one of the great depositions. He did a deposition of Dr. Stanley Plotkin that can be found online. Um, somebody mysteriously leaked it. It's a nine-hour deposition of what's considered to be Stanley Plotkin is the godfather of our vaccine program. To watch a lawyer school a virologist the way that he does, you recognize the talent that Aaron Siri has not only as a lawyer, but as really uh, uh, someone that has a deep understanding of the science around this, which has made him very effective for us in court. It's why we've won lawsuits against the FDA, the CDC, the National Institute of Health, Health and Human Services. 
when the Hasidic Jewish community were being fined for not being vaccinated with measles vaccine in New York, which is a shocking uh, destruction of personal rights. And um, we stepped forward and funded uh, to um, fight for 100 of those cases. We've won over 90 of those cases in, in the civil court. And some of those may go to the Supreme Court, will go there. We also have just an untold amount of private cases that are fighting for personal rights, especially to try and sort of end the, the removal of the religious exemption in New York. And right now, the work our legal team is doing, um, if people go to our website, info at icandecide.org, we are taking on cases where employers are trying to force this experimental vaccine on their employees. We are sending- Yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to ask you about that. Letters. I want to ask you right now. Um, yeah. yeah the, so it's under emergency use authorization. I know they're pushing to have it, you know, fully approved. But right now, what happens if someone encounters, uh, you know, their their business or someone says, hey, you, you need to be vaccinated or you can't work here or you can't come in here? Or what can they do? Well, they do anything? I mean, yeah, they can reach out to us, to our Informed Consent Action Network. Our legal team is filing an incredible amount of letters um, from our legal team against employers attempting that. We believe it should be illegal, but a belief only gets you so far. At some point, this will have to end up in courtrooms uh, and probably eventually a case that goes to the Supreme Court. I pray that when one of these cases does get to the Supreme Court, that our legal team headed by Aaron Siri will be the ones with that case because you want the best lawyers available when they're fighting for your constitutional rights. We won't know how this plays out. The, the argument could be made that, number one, there is no way that any, and look, it's not just employers, the university system around America, both private and public, is saying they're going to force students to take this experimental vaccine, given the history I've already described. The horror of that is, is you know, incomprehensible. But we believe that it, it's got to be illegal to force anyone to be in a medical experiment. That takes us back to Nazi Germany. After the Nuremberg trials of oh, just around 16 doctors that all argued that the atrocities they did, coercing or forcing people in concentration camps into surgeries, experimental drugs, experimental products, all, you know, we, we know the story. I don't need to get into details. They all said that the reason they felt okay doing it is because their superiors told them to do it, that they thought they were advancing science and that all the other doctors around them were doing it. I believe that will be the argument made by many of these establishments, both hospitals, doctors, universities, employers. Yeah. And it failed then in court and led to the hanging of many of these individuals. And I think it will fail in court in the future based on the document that came out of the Nuremberg Code. The Nuremberg trials led to the Nuremberg Code. And the first rule of the Nuremberg Code is informed consent. It's why I named my nonprofit the Informed Consent Action Network. Informed <clears throat> consent states that the voluntary approval by the patient is absolutely mandatory before any known medical procedure can take place. And that that consent can only be, you know, uh, achieved through the total you know, production of information, both the negative and the positive, the benefits and the negative side effects of whatever that medical experiment, that surgery, that treatment, that vaccine is. And any use of coercion or pressure is illegal in a free state. When we look at California, Maine, Mississippi, West Virginia, and now Connecticut, these states have all defied the Nuremberg Code. We believe any employer that forces people into a medical experiment, any university that forces people into the medical experiment are defying the number one rule of the, of the Nuremberg Code. And I have this to say, that I don't know what the standing will be. I don't know how these will turn out in court. But if a student dies after a vaccination they were forced to get to get an education, we will hold that university responsible for the murder of that student. And any employer that forces an employee to get a vaccination as a means to be uh, a part or get that employment, if they die from that vaccination, we will hold that employer responsible for the murder of that innocent individual. And we will see how that all plays out in court.
Last question for you. Who do you think pushed this? Do you think it was just an accident that, you know, the coronavirus came out or do you think it was deliberate? And, you know, who's the forces behind this? If any? This week on my show, I mean, I, that's a, that is a question that you could spend hours answering. I believe this now. This is, and this is sort of an official sea change for me now. I am done debating whether this is a natural or a man-made virus. I have seen enough evidence now and talked to enough world-renowned professionals that know what they're talking about that I think the case is now clear. This is a man-made virus. And the only question now left is, was it released on purpose or on accident? Either way, it is a bioweapon. I know that the definition by the WHO is a bioweapon has to be released on purpose. I don't see the difference between a nuclear weapon that is accidentally launched or purposefully launched. It is still a weapon. Therefore, I believe we, what we are looking at is a bioweapon. And the sooner we stop wasting time over the discussion of, of its natural origin and get to the individuals that were responsible for developing this man-made, you know, product, this weapon, however you want to call it, uh, that really hinges around this spike protein, the sooner we can start making adjustments. If it was accidental, then there has been a lot of, you know, different entities, banking entities, world, you know, globalists have used this to their advantage. There's been a lot of opportunism. If this was on purpose, then maybe perhaps that opportunism was planned even further ahead. Either way, I do think that there are very dark and dangerous individuals, those of which some I've named. I think that Tony Fauci is a lot to answer to. I believe the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and both of those individuals have a lot to answer to in their uh, both financing of the entities that have led to the lockdowns and destructions of our rights, the stop, the, the, you know, the obstruction of the use of known treatments, the promotion of experimental products like these vaccines, and also the promotion of technologies they are all involved in, whether it's the passport or tracking systems of innocent human beings. So yes, I do think that in many ways there were things that were planned. I'm not saying this whole thing was planned, but I think that they are using this moment as an opportunity to take away our rights and we must do everything we can to stop it. Well, Dale, thank you for coming. If you would just repeat resources for people, where can they go yeah. to find out more? You can follow me on uh, Twitter as long as I'm there at, at Dell Bigtree, D-E-L-B-I-G-T-R-E-E. Best place to find the work that I do and really, you know, start your journey into the, you know, the most thorough investigations into vaccine safety. And I think of this COVID pandemic, go to the Highwire dot com that's h-i-g-h wire so the highwire.com please sign up to our newsletter begin watching our show from the high wire you can click on a tab that will take you to our nonprofits website where you can see the lawsuits that we've won and the white papers we've written and that's at i can decide.org i can decide.org Dale, it's really great to speak to you thank you so much for coming i really appreciate it I appreciate you taking the time. It's really important. Anyone that's brave enough to get this information out there is going to take all of us. These are intense times. I think we are, will have a better and more transparent world as all of this is forcing more and more people to wake up. And, and that's what I'm dedicated to. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.